If you have your Bibles, I want to look at um, the fact of hope in the Word of God. And so turn in Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 17. Luke chapter 1, verses 5 to 17. The choir has been singing to us that there is hope. There is hope. And so I want to think about that. And um, as I was thinking about hope, uh, I, I was thinking about a, a visit that I had with my, uh, my family a couple weeks ago. And my sisters actually. Oh, yes. The children can be dismissed. Thank you. Wait, they're waiting for the children. Um, so again, parents, if you have, preschool, if you have preschoolers, then uh, you can just, uh, if you don't mind bringing them down to the to the class that would be helpful in the elementary will walk down with the leaders try not to step on the cords they don't seem to appreciate it this morning <laughs> uh, so the other week I was visiting my family and uh, and so uh, my sisters were talking to my children about growing up and uh, at one point they seemed to uh, they, they kind of went on to how as the older brother I traumatized them as they're growing up I don't remember it that way but that's the way they were talking about it and one of the ones uh, the stories my sister brought up is an argument that I had with my sisters about whether toads could swim. That seemed to be a pretty serious argument at that, at that stage of our lives. And so the discussion was, my, one of my sisters had a toad named Pancake. He was named Pancake because he sat very, very flat. And he was rather lazy. And so they were holding Pancake. I remember we were, we were by this pond. And I said to them, I believe that Pancake can swim. And they're like, well, no, Pancake never goes near water, and Pancake obviously doesn't like water, and he doesn't swim. He can't swim. And I said to them, well, toads were born in the water. They go return the water, lay eggs so that they can have little ones. Toads can swim. And they said no. And so being the older brother, I thought I would prove my point, and I grabbed Pancake and threw him in the pond. <laughs> and Pancake just sat like Pancake always did and floated well, it didn't float. He sank ever so slowly without moving a muscle right to the bottom of that pond. My sisters were pretty mad at me. And I'm like, no, wait, wait. Pancake's going to swim. He's a toad. Toads swim. So we waited till long enough until my sisters with anguished cries jumped in the pond to find Pancake and retrieve him. And then they were really worried because they were sure that, the, that Pancake had drowned. And Pancake sat in their hand. I remember him just sitting there. And they're like, you killed Pancake. How could you do that until Pancake slowly blinked an eye? And they knew he was okay. Um, I still think that toads swim. But uh, they had lost all hope that day that Pancake was going to be returned to them alive. Now, I tell that silly story for this reason. It a lot of times describes the way we use hope in this world. Right? That afternoon, I had hoped that Pancake would prove me right. That was my hope. Pancake would prove, you know, my statement right. And on that day, they hoped the water hadn't killed, drowned Pancake. There was a hope that was involved, but typically our hope expresses uncertainty, right? It's kind of in a negative sense, the way that we use hope. For instance, I hope my family will arrive safely. That means there's a chance that they might not arrive safely, right? We're not saying a confidence. We're saying, you know, there's a chance, but my, my desire is that they will arrive safely and to be with us and join with us. And so today in the book of Luke, I want you to look at a couple who had hope in the midst of hopelessness. There's a couple that has hope in the midst of hopelessness. Now Luke wrote his gospel so there'd be a detailed and orderly account because he was a doctor of, of the things that we hold true. 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so he records in detail the gospel of Jesus Christ. But he centers on this, that the Savior came to provide salvation. Interesting, the word Savior and salvation are mentioned more in the gospel of Luke than any of the, the other three gospels combined. And I think that's why he wrote the second part to it, the book of Acts. Because he wanted to show how the gospel... And the Savior weren't just for the Jews, they were for the world. And so he shows the progression of um, the gospel spreading throughout the known world at that time. Um, you know, the Bible says this in Isaiah. The root of Jesse will appear, the one who rises to rule the Gentiles, and the Gentiles will put their trust in him or hope in him. And so as Luke starts his account, instead of starting with Jesus, he starts at an unlikely point with an older couple, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. He records a few important details right at the first. And let's follow along in verse 5. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His, his wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commandments and requirements of the Lord. But they had no children, because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. When his division was on duty, he was serving as a priest before God. It happened that he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside, and an angel of the Lord appeared to him. And we'll pause there. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for a, a moment this, this morning where we get to pause and look at what do we mean by hope as believers. What is biblical hope? Where is it found? And how does it impact us as those who put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ? And so I thank you for an opportunity to hear how hope has changed the lives of so many children. And to be reminded today how hope can change our lives and hope um, can change our world um, as we share the hope that is found in us. In your name, amen. Well, this unlikely couple that we would not usually start a book that's centered on Jesus, but Luke decides this. Um, we're in dark days of Israel, and he gives a couple details. First of all, he says that they're a righteous couple. They're a God-fearing couple. Um, they lived during the days of Herod. He served with the priests because he was a priest, and they were childish. Uh, sorry, childless, sorry. It's an important distinction, and no children. <laughs> Isaiah 9, 2. Um, Isaiah talks about this day when, when the Messiah would appear on the scenes, and he says this, The people who have sat in darkness have seen a great light. There were dark days in Israel. There were dark days nationally. Hope seemed dead nationally because Israel, because of their sin, were slaves under Rome. Rome had its, its iron um, foot on Israel at that time. Matter of fact, Israel had not had a prophet for 400 years. They're called the silent years um, before the time of John the Baptist and the last prophets in the Old Testament. Can you imagine? I mean, Canada's only 150-some years old. I mean, for 400 years, God had not spoken to them. Nationally, hope seemed dead. Spiritually, the climate, hope seemed dead also. They were both, the Bible says, descended from priestly lines. He was still a priest that served. And I'm sure that they watched and saw, if you've read anything, especially when it comes to the trials of Jesus Christ, if you read anything about the, um, the terrible state of the priesthood in Israel, you know um, that basically it, comes, it was down to being a politician in our day and age sometimes. You know, whoever had the most influence, the most money. Um, it was not about who was the most godly, who should be in power. It was who could manipulate the office to do what they wanted to do, how to get rich, um, 
you know, it was an instant ticket to rich, riches if you were um, especially one of the lead priests in that day. Although there were priests that stayed faithful to their calling, there were few in number. So he probably looks around and says, I'm a priest, but, but the priesthood isn't standing for what it used to be. It's not following the, the honor and the glory of being humble servants of God and serving the people. And then I think hope seemed dead personally. Um, his wife Elizabeth, in verse 25, will, will speak of the, the, the disgrace she felt of being barren. In the nation of Israel, if you were barren, it seemed it would, a lot of times they said either you were sinful or God was judging you for some reason. And here they are, well in advanced age, past the normal win window for pregnancy, and it looked like that there would be nobody to, for them to care for, nobody to care for them, which was really important that day, as they got older. And they look around and they say, where are you, God? What's going on? We've been faithful, we've been serving. What's happening? Now, it's interesting, Zechariah's name means this. Yahweh, or Jehovah, remembers. I wonder if there was times in his life he says, God, do you remember me? Do you, have you forgotten about me? Or do you remember that we're here, we're serving you? You know, they could have grown old and bitter. But instead, that's not the situation we find as we enter this passage. The first thing I notice is that hope holds on when the answer is not in sight. Hope, biblical hope, holds on when the answer is not in sight. Now, the scripture is very clear that just because you have hope doesn't mean you never doubt, like Peter. Get discouraged like Elijah, or deny God like Peter did, or, or even demand, maybe like James and John. We want to be, right, on rulers in, in heaven, one on your right side and one on your left. But hope in the Bible, biblical hope, will bring you through. Hebrews 6 says this, Now we desire each of you to demonstrate the same diligence for the full assurance of your hope. He says, you know, the full completion of your hope. It's a guarantee of your hope until the end, so you won't become lazy, but will be imitators of those who inherit promises through faith and perseverance. And so if you read about biblical hope, faith is tied right into it. You can't have biblical hope without having faith, without saying, I believe God, I am confident in God. Hebrews 10 says this, Don't throw away your confidence or your hope, which has great reward, for you need endurance. You need to stick with it. You need to hang in there, even when the answer is not in sight. So that, after you've done God's will, you may receive what is promised. For yet in a very little while, the coming one will come and not delay. God's like, don't worry, I'm on track, I'm on plan. But my righteous ones live by faith. God says, like, right now, you're in the moment where you're living by faith. You don't see it in sight, but you say, I believe it, and I know it will come one day. A couple characteristics of faith that I noticed from Simeon's life, sorry, Zachariah's life, is this. Uh, faith holds on when righteousness goes on seemingly unregarded. And I put seemingly in there because we're looking from our point of view. Faith holds on when righteousness goes on, goes seemingly unregarded. You know, I've met people that will say something like this. I went to all the VBSs, all church when I was growing up. I know God hates sin. I even sang songs about it. I know that true love waits. I got the ring. Um, I know you shouldn't smoke, drink, or chew. I hang out with those who do. And I, I've done all that. I don't watch any movies that are, are you know, more than PG-13, unless they have the resurrection and the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And I've done all that. And God, where is the things that you promised me? Where are my hopes? Why is it not working for me? You let my hope die. And I've seen people walk away from the faith because they're like, God, we had a deal. But the gospel is not about a deal, is it? 
That's religion. Religion says, God, I'm doing this and now you owe me. The gospel says, I'm doing this because you have blessed me. Because you have been gracious to me, I want to honor you and I want to serve you. So faith holds on when righteousness goes seemingly unregarded. The Bible says that for year after year after year, this couple lived righteously, they served God, and they prayed faithfully to him. Job says it this way, though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him. I'm going to trust him. Secondly, faith holds on when faithfulness goes on seemingly unrewarded. Faith holds on when faithfulness goes on seemingly unrewarded. He's still faithful serving as a priest. He didn't say, I'm quit, I'm out of here. What can I accomplish? You know, the priesthood's a mess. Society's a mess. We're not, we're not being, you know, our, our family never materialized like we were planning on it. He's still faithful. Romans 8.18, Paul says this, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that will be in the future compare, uh, revealed in us. Paul says, listen, it, right now, we don't, I don't see what God has promised me. It's not in view at all, but I know and I have biblical hope that one day I will see it. And that was, that was the belief of uh, Hebrews 11, right? In Hebrews 11, it says this about the people. It says, these all died in faith, faith in verse 13, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off by faith, were assured of them, embraced them, and confessed they were strangers and pilgrims on this earth. They said they knew it was ahead. They trusted God it was ahead, but they, they didn't see it. But they continue on faithfully. You know, uh, the first part of Hebrews, we love that, don't we? When we see, you know, by faith, they subdue kingdoms. You know, they, they saw their dead raised to life. But the last part of 11 always catches me. Because it says this in verse 35. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trials of mockings and scourgings, yes, of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, goat, sorry, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented. I want to talk about dreams being shattered, hopes shattered, if your hopes is in some things. It says this, of the, whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth. All these, having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise. God, what is going on here? They were faithful right to death. They were faithful through all these things. They didn't receive the promise. What is going on? And then it says this, God, having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. What's he saying there? He says, listen, they did not receive the promise of the kingdom, which you are faithfully serving, because God says, no, I want each one of us to be part of that kingdom too, right? If God had brought the kingdom in for them at that moment, guess what? We would not have been a part of it. Because we're arriving on the scene later. And God says, no, I've delayed giving them the promise. Don't worry, they're going to be part of that kingdom. They're going to be part of that eternal kingdom forever. But they did not see it in their lifetime. Why? Because I wanted the, the members of True Life Church to be a part of it too. And why is he not coming by this date? We're like, even so, come Lord Jesus, right? He said, because the Bible says, God is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but he's long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but all come to... He's delaying. He's not bringing the promise in today, at least at this point. I'm not, you know, we don't know what the next hour may bring. But he, so far, he's delayed because he said, there's more. I want to be part of the a celebration at the throne of the Lamb, saying, what, blessing and honor and glory be to the Lamb that was slain.
forever and ever. Amen. And then the last one is this. Faith holds on when time goes on unrelenting. I think that's probably the hardest thing about is letting God be God on the timing, isn't it? We include, we'll, we'll say things like we believe that God is sovereign over all things, including ourselves. That he's eternally wise, yet sometimes we struggle to submit to God or trust God's ways. It's like going on a trip with kids. I mean, the, you get in the thing and they're like, okay, how long is it going to be? When are we going to arrive? And we'll be like, oh, about three hours. We'll get there, right? Four or five hours, however long the trip is. And then you get 45 minutes. And then what do you hear? Are we there yet, right? And then by the time we get to hour three, do you know what I'm saying? We're going to get there when we get there. How many, how many have been there, right? Start out, it seems to start out patient enough. And then it's like, come on, you're not on the, you're not on the time scale that I want you to be on. It's just like, nope. We're going to get there when we get there. I'm not giving you any more times. Then they hold it against me. I'm like, oh, it's about 30 minutes. They're like, well, it's 30 minutes and we're not there. And I'm like, well, maybe 35. You know what I mean? We're impatient with God. But, but hope and faith holds on when time goes on unrelenting. Secondly, hope rests in the character of God. You know what I love when the angel of the Lord appears to him? He's terrified in verse 12. Verse 13, the angel says to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your prayer has been heard. Isn't that amazing? He says, don't worry about it. You've been praying to God. The prayer of a righteous man avails much. That's the word of God. And your prayer has been heard because he was praying to God. I wonder if he was praying the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 33, 15, because he was praying about the Messiah coming. That's one of the answers to the prayer. And Jeremiah wrote, in those days and that time, I will cause a righteous branch, God says to him, to sprout up for David. That's Jesus. He says, don't worry. My promise is going to be happening. You don't have to worry about it. Now, do you know where Jeremiah was at this moment when he received this prophecy about the branch coming in that day and at that time? I will cause the righteous branch. He was in prison in the courtyard, shackled with chains, had been there for days and weeks. It says, while he was still confined in the king's courtyard, the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah the second time, saying what? I am going to fulfill my promise in my time. But I love how God starts this. He says this, The Lord who made the earth, the Lord who, who forms it to establish it, the Lord is his name. He says this. God says, I'm saying this based on who I am. It's based on my character. Hope rests in the character of God. He says, Call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and incomprehensible things you do not know. God says, Call unto me and I will answer you. Zacharias, I'm sure that was probably in his mind. He knew the scriptures. He says, I've been calling out to you for decades now, God. When will your answer come? And that day <laughs> surprised him, shocked him. All of a sudden, the angel shows up and says, listen, God remembers. God's a God of character. You can trust God. You can rest upon God. God has heard you, and God has an answer for you. And that's why, church, we can have a confident hope today, because it rests on the character of God. God heard his prayer. He had prayed for the last 50 years and had been prayed for hundreds of years by the faithful before. But he acted in his own time frame. The Bible says at the perfect, at the fullness of time, God sent forth his son born of a woman to be able to rescue us. When we wait and wait and wonder if anything's happened, rest assured that God is doing his work because it, it is guaranteed by his character. I like the song. I don't know if they sang it this morning, but they sang last night. And it says, give me faith to see you're working. Hope will hold my soul in the trial. I believe God because I'm, I'm basing on what you've said. I'm basing on your character. And that gives me confidence. That's our hope. I do want to say this to you. Allow God to shape your hope. 
In verses 14 and 15, he says this, Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you, and there, many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. Now, I don't know what Zachariah and Elizabeth had in mind when they first got married. And we're thinking about kids. But I don't think it was this. I'm actually convinced it wasn't this. Right? Because typically if you're born in the priestly line, what would your children be? Right? Priests are serving in the temple. That's probably his expectation, right? We're going to have, you know, son and daughters, and my son will serve in the priesthood. That would be the expectation. That would be the plan. And God said to him, oh, listen, by the way, I am actually going to provide in your old age. You're going to have a, you're going to have a son. You name his name John, but he's not going to be a priest. But it's going to be so much more incredible, his ministry, than that, because he's going to be the one that turns Israel back to God. He's going to be the forerunner. He's going to be the announcer of the Messiah, the hope for the nation. That's pretty great news, although it's different news. Let the word of God shape your hope. That's why so many people didn't receive Jesus when he came, right? Because they were looking for the king that would come and crush Rome and establish righteousness um, forever. They didn't want a suffering Messiah but they needed a suffering Messiah. That's why Jesus kept saying to the disciples, you know, um, I'm going to die and be buried and rise again, as the Scripture says, because, listen, if Jesus had come that first time to establish a kingdom, none of us would be a part of it because we've got a sin problem. And the Bible says there will be no one that speaks a lie. There will be no one with sin in that kingdom. And so it was imperative that the first time Jesus came, that he came to be the suffering Savior. But it was different than what most people were hoping for, and so they rejected the hope. Of Jesus. John the Baptist, you know, the greatest born among women, in my mind, you know, if God says you're going to have a son, he's going to be the greatest born among women, I probably wouldn't be thinking that one of my sons would go live in the wilderness, wear camel's fur, and, uh, and eat grasshoppers. <laughs> but that, that was, that was, that was uh, John the Baptist's ministry, wasn't it? Um, although grasshoppers aren't bad. I, was, I traveled in Uganda once and uh, ate grasshoppers. And they were really good, but <laughs> I, I, I told somebody, I'm like, I found out that anything that, that's boiled in oil, um, fried in oil, tastes good, even grasshoppers. So, <laughs> um, but you know, we need to allow God to shape our hope. And then I want to just close with this. Hope has an impact on those around you. What, what, what did the angel say? John, because you have put your hope in God— because you've been faithfully praying and serving and says, you know what? I am going to trust him. I'm going to put my confidence in him. He says, you will bear a son and you will raise a son that will have an impact on the whole society of Israel. And not only that, but we know as a forerunner to Jesus Christ, it had an impact on the whole world to this day. He says, Zechariah, God is going to use you and your wife to be part of an incredible story of revival and renewal in Israel. A few days ago, I was asked this question, what is your greatest fear? You know, and as, as I just quickly thought about it, it, it was this. Not, not that I'm terrified of this, but, but it, it is a concern of my, my life, is that I will be successful in my life at things that don't really matter. That there will be an illusion of success in my life, but it will be things that don't really matter. It will be all things that disappear once this world is over and the eternal kingdom comes in. You know, and that I hope in our lives... That we say, you know what, I, I want, and I put my hope in God, and I want to be engaged in things that actually matter. Things 
that will last. What does the Bible say? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And I want to say this this morning. You can't have hope unless you have Christ. You can't have hope unless you have Christ. Romans 5, 5, it says this. This hope that we have, talking to believers, will not disappoint us. It cannot disappoint us because it's in Christ. What is the hope? Well, in verse 5, it says that God, the glory of God is my eternal potion. That one day I'm going to be with him in glory. And do you know why that's a secure hope? Because in between there, he talks about why we know it's secure. He says this, because I am justified by faith, and I live with peace of God, and I'm in the center of God's grace. I know that God is going to fulfill his work in me. I know that my hope will be um, realized one day. So a couple thoughts. If Christ is our hope, if Christ is the hope of my life, then first of all, we need to live it out. What is that, Zachariah? What do we find him doing in advanced years in his life? He was praying. He was committed to praying. That's what he was doing, right? It says that all the congregation was outside praying in the courtyard. He was in making the offering and praying, praying for Israel. And it says the, that's why the angel said, your prayer has been heard, Zacharias. And he was serving. You know, if we have hope, those are two things I think that will define our hope, that we will be found praying and we will be found serving. I like one prayer warrior. He said this, expect great things from God and tempt great things for God. No, if we are a church that has hope, you know what? Prayer will be a priority for you. Because God has chosen to work through prayer. Amen. We live it out. Secondly, I'm going to borrow from our, uh, our giving initiative. We're going to launch out. We're going to launch out. Because we, we have a giving initiative that is in the, in the front. So if you haven't prayed about it and say, how, how's God calling me? Because was we really believe God is setting some tremendous opportunities in front of our church. You know, it was interesting. I was in Russia teaching one time, and I... And, um, and, and many of them had lived through, um, through communism and all the struggle of that. And so there were some churches I traveled to that still uh, wouldn't put a sign up for church. They were still living like an underground church. I remember talking to another pastor, and he was actually getting on TV some and doing things. I'm like, why are you doing that? Because he said, the door is open now, and we're going to step through the door. And he said, some of my other brothers are scared that the door is going to quickly shut, which maybe it is right now, is going to quickly shut, and they don't want to be open and exposed and then be the first to go down, and so they're going to stay hidden. But we believe the door is open now, and we're going to take that open door. And that's where, you know, even as a church, we feel like God has given to us an open door, and we can say, no, we're going to hole up, and we're going to stay tight and safe because we don't know. It doesn't look like the government of Canada is looking too fond on religion, especially God's church right now. Or are we going to say, there's still an open door, church. Let's step through it. Let's take the opportunities God gives to us. And then thirdly, speak out. Because more and more, um, I was reading a couple articles in the last month, more and more what defines our young people is hopelessness. The amount of young people now that are on medication to help them deal with anxiety and depression is skyrocketing in Canada because there's hopelessness in Canada because they don't know the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. And we have that treasure to be able to share to the world. Um, Levi was just sharing with me that he was uh, passing out a track to somebody, and somebody says, that's so interesting, you just giving me this track. They said, because somebody from this church, and they hollowed a True Life Church little thing, said, offered me this and told me about Jesus Christ, and I was just starting to think about those things, and now you come along and share with Somebody said, I care about my coworker enough to be able to share with him the hope that is found in Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But in your heart regard Christ the Lord as holy, 
ready at any time to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason, for the hope, because you live differently. Because you're hanging on, even when you don't see the answer, you're hanging on and says, I believe it because it's trusting and resting upon the promises of God. And I'm living differently. And people say, what's different about you? He says, because Jesus. It's because of Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Well, church, we have hope. That hope isn't just for us. It's for the country of Uganda. And it's for the world. Will we live out that hope? And will we speak a hope to this world? Let's pray. Amen.